The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cut Podcast, a proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. I'm Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. Pete, we're a couple weeks into the season, and I think we're just going to title this episode, it is the Keeper Cut episode of Keeper Cut. Yeah, it is. It is. That's a good way to put it. And we, we there are some incredibly difficult cut decisions that need to be made, so it's a fitting time to introduce the Keeper Cut episode of Keeper Cut. Yeah, and I think this is a bigger challenge in keeper leagues and dynasty leagues for that matter than in redraft because in my redraft leagues except for a a handful of guys if you're struggling you're out because i just i can't wait and and the upside is is so limited you know if you if a guy struggles for the first two months and turns it around great but you've killed me for two months in a keeper league guy struggles for two months and turns it around that that guy might be on your roster for the next four years so the, the trade-offs are really different. It makes it a much harder choice. And I think that creates a really interesting conversation. And, and I'm looking at some of the names we're going to talk about today. And almost all of them, that factors in. This, this question of like, not just what are they going to do for me this year, but what does their future look like? Yeah. And, and factoring in keeper leagues, I mean, we're, we're going to have to continue to differentiate between the three. I mean, I definitely approach this with a keeper league mindset because that is the topic of the pod. And, and, and even keeping it not new, we can tie in like what their average costs are. I'm sure we'll go down that hole as well. Um, but I, these are players that we're going to go over today that even in keeper leagues, I might consider cutting um, just because they have really showed either no signs of life or I have some concerns. And then later in the pod, Chad, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go over some sell highs that we're interested in as well. If you're on the other end of the spectrum, where you have guys who are performing really well and you're hoping to cash in. Yeah, we'll have to figure out if those are the right choices, too. So with that, let's jump right in and. Pete, you're, you're killing me off the bat because your first name up here is a, a guy I've been really high on, a, a guy I, I still believe in, but boy, it hasn't been a great start to the season. That's Trent Grisham. Yeah, so I knew this one would uh, would maybe pierce your heart a little bit. And, and if it makes you feel better, I do have Grisham in a lot of spots as well, pro- probably because of how much you talked about him and like him. It just kind of like, you know, naturally <laughs> fell over to me. Um, for example, I have him in in the Keeper Cut Listener League too, the head-to-head league, 
the one that we do not co-manage together. And I have a really hard decision to make there because like I kind of got him at a pretty good price. And so if he does return to that like little 2020 glory that we saw from him a few years ago, then obviously he'd be a slam dunk keeper. But I went and researched because there's a player who's looking awesome in the early going and jerks and profar long busted prospect who's, you know, made his journeys around the MLB. And I went to go look at their last 700 plate appearances and they are eerily similar. I mean, I'm not going to walk through the whole thing, but Essentially, they're both homer slash stolen base guys, but not really elite at either. They're going to bat for low averages. Profar's WRC plus over his last 700 plate appearances is 101. Trent Grisham's WRC plus over his last 700 plate appearances is 100. Um, so if you're, you know, the Padres and you're making a decision between these two guys, you you play the hot hand. Now, the Padres are obviously a little bit beat up. Grisham is getting plenty of play time, but he is batting ninth against lefties. And man, he has shown nothing. It, it's like, I, I thought he was going to get off to a hot start and we we're going to quickly forget 2021. He's got one homer, no steals, a 143 average to this point. Like I said, batting ninth versus lefties and his strikeouts are way up and his exit velocities. Average exit velocity is way down. I mean, it's, it's bad. It's awful. It's like 83 miles an hour. Now one, you know, 110 mile an hour hit ball will drastically change that. Cause we're still so early in terms of sample size, but I'm starting to get to the point where if I have an opportunity to pick up Jesus Sanchez or Jurickson Profar, I'm thinking about making that switch definitely in my redraft leagues. And I'm, there's a player in free agency right now, Chad, who I have a bid up for. As you know, our fab is going to end tonight, I believe. And I might be dropping Grisham to pick up this player. So that that's where I'm at with Trent. I'm very curious to hear your thoughts as this is your boy. Yeah, it's uh, it's concerning. For sure. And I think part of what's what's concerning is last year when he struggled, his plate discipline was fine. Like if you look at his 2021 plate discipline numbers, his O swing was right in line with where it had been in his career. His Z swing was up a little bit, but but not bad. Um, his contact rate was actually up, although part of that was just swinging more in the zone, but he was making more contact in the zone as well, which meant that his swinging strike rate was down. His CSW against, which isn't super useful for hitters, but is at least a little bit descriptive, was down. He just wasn't hitting the ball with very much authority. And so, you know, I wrote him up over the offseason and talked about he had this uh, heel injury. I'm trying to remember now what the injury was. Um, He had an injury to his lower leg foot area early in the season. And never really seemed to get right after that. But other than that, there wasn't anything that like jumped out at me. And so I sort of felt like he was just, I don't know what the, I don't know what the right word is like because of this injury to his foot. And again, I'm still trying to look up. It was his heel. He he hurt his heel trying to run out uh, an infield, trying to beat out an infield hit, but he ended up not beating out. I don't think, um, but if that never got right and he wasn't able to swing with the authority he usually could, and that was causing him to not put the ball in play as hard as he normally could, that would explain why the performance was down when the plate discipline looked fine. This year, he's gotten super patient to the point of being passive. Um, his chase rate is down, which is good, but he's always had a low chase rate. He's always had a good idea of the zone. His swing rate on pitches in the zone is down to 52.5%. It was, it's been around 60% for most of his career. He was 65% last year. 
And his contact rate on pitches in the zone has dropped from 87.7% last year to 78.8% this year. And so the result of that is he's taking a lot more called strikes and he's swinging through more pitches as well because he's making less contact. And so his strikeout rate, which had been in the mid twenties for most of his career and was actually down to 22.6% last year is up to 31.6% this year. So you add to that what you mentioned, which is the contact has been just bad <laughs> when it's happened. Um, it's a little, it's a little concerning. And, you know, I try to look for some good signs and there are some here, like he's got a couple barrels already, which actually has a barrel rate over what his barrel rate was last year. Obviously it's like two, it's very early. Um, his hard hit rate is down, but it's not like precipitously low. That average EV is clearly being pulled down by some outlier weak contact, but it's getting, I'll say this as high as I have been on Grisham, I'm, I'm benching him almost everywhere and, and I'm not quite ready to give up on him. Uh, in, in redraft, I guess I would be, I think you're right. I don't know that I have him in any redraft leagues. I probably do because I drafted him everywhere. Um, so I'll have to look at that, but in my keeper leagues and my auto new leagues, I'm not quite ready to drop him, but, uh, I'm not using him. And so at some point, like he's basically an overpriced prospect. Yeah. He, he feels like right now he feels like Kevin Biggio, if Biggio had playtime. Um, you know, a lot of those qualities that you just described there. Who being... I also have in a bunch of places. <laughs> <laughs> but you paid a lot less of a price to get Biggio. And I think that's the problem. I think part of it with Grisham is we assumed that, okay, worst case scenario, he'll still get on base a lot. And if he's on base, it's going to be opportunities for stolen bases. Now, we're still obviously extremely early in the year, but it's not like the Padres aren't running. They have the fourth most stolen bases in baseball. It's only 10, but still they're fourth in all of baseball. Grisham has none of them. And I think that's ultimately the killer because we could stomach, all right, maybe he's not going to hit for power like he showed in 2020. You know, maybe he's not going to be an average guy, but he'll get on base and he'll steal bases. And he's not even doing that either. I think that's just been killer. I mean, Christian right now, his median salary overall in auto new is $10. He's, he's been paid closer to $8 in first year leagues, which gives you a sense of sort of his immediate market value. That $10 is pulled up because in, in non first year leagues, there's inflation that drives prices up. I also think a lot of people kept him at like, you know, 12, 13, $14 because there was no reason not to. He seemed like a decent value there, especially if he bounced back. He's still 98% rostered, but that's gone down by about probably, there's probably about one cut of him in auto new over the last seven days because his, his roster percentage has gone down a very small amount. So somebody, somebody is starting to move on from Trent Grisham, not me. Um, I think at this point with Grisham, all I'm really hoping, thinking, believing, we'll say believing, is that uh, this is just, it's still just noise. He has a 200 BAPIP that will come back up. I don't think he'll continue to run a 30% strikeout rate. He is too, he has too good a sense of the strike zone and is too good a contact hitter to, to let that continue. Uh, and on top of that, well, he is, he's being, he's been on the bench against some lefties. And as you said, when he is in the lineup against lefties, he's hitting ninth. That may continue, but his defense is good enough that it's going to keep him on the field. They need him in center field. And so, I, I believe he'll get an opportunity to work through this and I'm not ready to give up yet, but I don't know. I mean, 
there are probably and I, like I'm, I'm poking around now at some of my auto new lineups because that's the place where like his salary i mean maybe i do need to move on from him in a couple places right now i'm in a position in most of my auto new leagues where i've got at least some cap space available like for example i have a 12 dollars trent grisham in league 32 obviously he's been terrible i am not using him at all um but i have 22 dollars in cap space available in that league so i like if I'm going to cut him, it's just for the roster spot. And I'm not sure I want to do that. That that team is a whole different story. But that team, I have an outfield that I was really excited about. Um, and Josh Bell has been good. And Anthony Santander I picked up and has been been solid. But like Luis Robert has been bad. Ryan Mountcastle has been bad. Franmel Reyes finally starting to hit. Eloy Jimenez has been bad. <laughs> like this that looks like a good outfield on paper. And uh, it's been awful. So he's part of that mix. And and by the way, as bad as that outfield's been, Grisham is the one I've been leaving on the bench. So I, makes sense. Look at the numbers. Yeah, it's frustrating. I think you make a good point though, where you said if I cut him, it's just for a roster spot. And so you you got to make sure that like if you're going to cut one of these players that we're talking about today, who just a few weeks ago you thought was like, uh, this is a starter on my team, then you have to at least make sure that like who you're replacing him with is somebody who you're confident going forward is going to be pretty good. Um, and that's why I'm having such a hard time where this player who I'm targeting in our head-to-head league, which again is a keeper league, to drop Grisham for is like, in my mind, I could easily see for the rest of his career outperforming Grisham, and he certainly has the first couple of weeks. If you don't have that player in mind, particularly not new where it's the, you know, it's so deep. Like we were we were trying to figure out guys owned in less than 30% of leagues, and I suggested Dallas Keuchel. Like that that's what we're talking about with Ott New. So um I, I'd be hesitant to cut a guy just because they've pissed you off. Yeah, and, and I think that it's it's not necessarily like you don't need to go out and find someone who you're like, this guy is definitely going to be better than Trent Grisham forever. It is fine to find someone who you're like, look, this guy's better now, and I think it's sustainably good. And sure, if Grisham turns it around, he's going to be better than this guy, but I'm okay accepting that risk in order to get the immediate production now. What what, what I don't want to do is cut Grisham somewhere just to add someone who I think is uh, you know, going to be in my roster for a month or two and then he'll be gone. I'm okay taking what, what might end up being a long-term downgrade for a short-term upgrade, but I want there to be long-term value to that in auto new. I, I'm, I'm just not ready to cut a guy like Grisham just just for a month right of someone else that that to me isn't worth it again except in cases where like like i said you know his average his median salary is ten dollars if you have no cap space and there's somebody out there you need to pick up and you need to cut grisham to get cap space like i get that and and the nice thing about grisham is someone in your league will gamble on him at five dollars which means that you'll get you'll not only get the five dollar immediate return but your cap penalty will get cleared pretty quickly and I mean, like, I'm talking about this with Niv Shah, my co-manager in League 13 right now, because we've got some changes we want to make. We only have $1 of cap room, and we have a $9 Alex Kirilov. We have a, who was the other, an $11 Ryan Mountcastle, and we have a pretty deep outfield in that league. So I'm not cutting those guys because of their performance so far, or because of Kirilov's injury for that matter. But it's giving me the room, potentially, no, no decisions have been made, but it's potentially giving me the room 
to cut them in order to clear the money we can clear with them because that money could be useful. And so it becomes a situation where like just to cut Grisham for an outfielder who isn't as good is not great. But if you're going to cut Grisham and two $1 guys who are awful and replace all three of them with four or $5 guys, and you need to cut Grisham to do that, to create the cap space to do that, that could be worth it because then the downgrade on Grisham is traded off with the upgrade on the other players. But yeah, like Pete said, don't just don't just cut Grisham to like add a random outfielder who's running a hot streak right now, unless you think that random outfielder is going to continue to be good. All right, let's jump to the next name on your list. This is this is okay. We went from a guy that I was high on to now it's now it's your turn. Yeah, this guy, you've been you've been touting this guy for a while, and he was good last year, but off to. As poorly as Trent Grisham is hitting the ball, this guy's hitting it worse. <laughs> Brendan Rodgers. He is. Yeah. So I was high on Rodgers. I would say I was higher on Rodgers going into last year. I never really liked the price going into this year. I felt like, okay, yeah, he showed signs last year, but he was going like top 175. And that just felt extremely aggressive. I mean, I, and it wasn't really a skills thing that I was worried about too much, even though his expected numbers last year really weren't that great. It was, I mean, this guy's dealt with serious shoulder issues and does not have a large sample size of success, but Brendan Rogers this year has been an epic disaster. And part of the reason why I did like him a little bit going into this year was that last year he was amazing on the road and he was terrible at course. And that just felt like just like bad luck. His WRC plus in the road was over 130. His WRC plus in cores was 68. And obviously that accounts for Park, but it's sort of besides the point. I mean, he was a disaster at home. Uh, he had 15 home runs, I believe, and 12 of them were on the road. That's weird. That's like outlier stuff. So if you're telling me, all right, well, he's obviously going to do better at home because it's cores. And if he can continue this success on the road, well, oh, okay. Maybe this is, you know, a 25 homer, former elite prospect that's ready to break out in course field him into it. He's been terrible. I mean, he, he's been downright dreadful. Um, the Rockies have played, I want to say, they are inexplicably 8-4 and four right now. They've played 12 games, and 10 of them have been at home. They've played Yeah, I noticed that too. They've, like, if you've, if you've got Rockies on your teams, they've just used up, like, an eighth of their home games in the first week and a half of the season. That's going to be a weird balance for them the rest of the way, and it doesn't seem significant. But it is. It definitely is, particularly, and we're going to talk about this player later because he's one of my four sell highs, particularly for CJ Crone, right? Like I would be selling him really hard right now. And it's not that I don't believe in him as a power hitter or anything like that. It's that like, how, what could you get for him? If you get something pretty good for the major league leader in homers right now, who's already played, you know, 10 of his home games, I would do that. But in Rogers case, he's already played that many games at home and he's been awful. Um, and there's seriously concerning signs. I, I don't think his strikeout rate's going to say that stay that high. I mean, it was bad his first year, but he's otherwise, you know, a, a contact hitter. Um, but it, it's terrible right now. It's 34%. His expected batting average is even worse. And Chad, we were talking about this before the show started that like because of the baseballs, and this was there was a tweet from Alex Chase that came out that was comparing um it was home runs compared to exit velocities and how like exit velocities are even harder essentially this year and yet they're or batting average i'm sorry not homers but averages are lower so the correlation between exit velocities or, or hard hits i should say i'm kind of all over the place at this point chad so correct me and clean this up when i'm done but the correlation between hard hit rate and batting average 
if the, obviously for hard hit rate, there's going to be a high batting average this year. The hard hit rate isn't really that different. And yet the batting average on hard hit balls is much lower. And that would indicate that obviously the balls aren't traveling as far instead of, you know, you hitting a ball 400 feet because you had a, you know, 95 exit velocity with an 18 degree launch angle. Instead, that ball is going 350 feet and it's getting caught by the center fielder. So I think that has maybe led some of these expected batting averages in the early going to look higher than they should be. And Brandon Rogers is still terrible. So like he, he should have at least in the expected batting average department based on the balls, maybe a little bit of an advantage and he doesn't. So I'm going to just let Chad talk so he can clean up the mess that I just described. Cause I, I don't know how I'm going to edit my way through that, but <laughs> like he's giving me so, no hope right now. Yeah. So the, the, the Alexander chase tweet that you're talking about. And if you're not following him at chase underscore rate, uh, he's a great follow colleague of ours at pitcher list and has some, some really good, useful data that he puts out there. He is much better with data than I am. So, um, but he looked at Statcast data on hard hit balls. So balls hit over ninety five miles per hour. He focused that on line drives and fly balls. And what he found is, if you go back to two thousand fifteen, the percent of pitches hit like that has been going up basically every year. It has gone up every year, actually. 2015, it was 43%. It's now up to 49.9%. It was only at 48.8% last year and 47.8% the year before. So it's gone up a lot over the last, you know, three, four years. Um, The batting average on those balls was relatively stable from 2015 to 2020. Uh, 2015, it was 615. 2020, it was 608. It was as low as 600, as high as 633 in between there. Bounced around a bit, but but not a ton. Um, last year, it went down to 591, which is not super far away from the 600 that it was in 2018. And we also know that they the ball last year had more drag and wasn't traveling as far and all that stuff. This year, it's 532. So going from 591 down to 532, like the entire range from 2015 to 2021 was 42 points. And then it dropped. 59 points so far this year. Now, weather is part of that because we're still early in the season. So my guess is that number will come up, but that that is a pretty significant drop. Slugging percentages on balls at 95 miles per hour or harder are way down. Distances are down. So there is there does appear to be something different. And as a result, any X stats, any comparisons you're making are a little concerning. Um, It's, you know, I, I think what that means for a guy like Rogers is that maybe his bad X stats aren't as concerning as they otherwise could be because they could be a little bit better, especially given like his hard hit rate is down, but it's not down a lot. So one of the big changes he had last year is he went from having hard hit rates at 32.7% in 2019, even with the rabbit ball. 20% in 2020. And then he was up to 40.3% last year. He's only down to 37%. So like other than last year, this is the best he's had. Um, and, and it's not far off sort of his, where he was. So he's still hitting the ball pretty hard. He's just not really, he, he's not getting great results anyways. And even if you account for his X stats, like his WOBA is 144, his X WOBA is 216. 216 is a lot better than 144 but they're both below the point of being useful. Um, The bigger issue for him, from what I can tell, though, less than the contact, is 
he's or sorry, less than the the quality of contact is the amount of contact, right? His he's chasing pitches slightly more than he did last year. He's swinging in the zone a little bit less, but his contact rate in the zone is down more than ten percentage points. His contact rate outside the zone is down more than fifteen percentage points. So he went from a ten percent swing strike rate last year to an eighteen point one percent swing strike rate strike rate this year. Like that's that's going to hurt, right? His strikeout rate was 20% last year. It's 34% this year. So I, I think the biggest issue for him is less the quality of contact and more just the amount. He just isn't putting the ball in play nearly enough. Uh, this is another guy who I've got on multiple rosters. I was counting on him. I liked him a lot for auto new prestige leagues because he has multiple eligibility and those, those home games play up a little bit, right? So for, for guys who play at cores, they don't hurt you with an O for four on the road in a, in a best ball format. And so I really liked him there um, and then ended up not being able to get him in any of those drafts. And so I don't have him. The only place I've got him are in my standard leagues. And in my, those leagues, like I have him for $12 in our listener auto new league. And you know, I, I think I'm done. I, I just I don't think the long term upside for him in that format is good enough. Like even last year, his on base percentage was you know three twenty eight. It's fine. It's not great. He had fifteen home runs, forty nine runs. Like he's just not going to do a ton for me. And I you know the challenge is like if I go to that league and I look at my watch list, which I keep pretty well updated, although I probably haven't. I probably need to do that again soon. And I start looking at middle infielders who are available, like. Nick Solak, who's only playing against lefties, although doing quite well. Kevin Newman. Uh, Andre Jimenez, who's been pretty good and I probably should be looking at. David Fletcher. Nico Horner. Josh Harrison, who's been terrible. I just Pearl don't think Rogers separates himself from this pack in any any meaningful no. way. No. And so this is, this is, again, a case where, like, I'm not sure I look at any of those guys and think – this is similar to what we are talking about with Grisham. I'm not sure I look at any of those guys and think, I have to go get this guy because he's better. But I don't know that I need that $12 eaten up by Rodgers. And, and moving on from Rodgers, like, even if it doesn't help me a ton at middle infield, but it helps me clear the space to go, for example – Alex Kirilov is a free agent in that league. He's injured. He hasn't been very good, but maybe I'd rather bet on him moving forward. Um, Michael Conforto is a free agent. I'm not sure I want to deal with him. Jose Barrero, depending on when he's back, is sort of interesting. Francisco Mejia has been off to a really good start and is very interesting. There's some interesting prospects like Vinny Pascantino. It's like there are some guys there that I might want to speculate on who they don't replace Rodgers per se, but the cap space I get from Rodgers by downgrading, if it's even a downgrade to a different middle infield, might be might be worth it. Um, looking at pitchers too, because like maybe I clear enough space by moving him to go add, I don't know, nobody. There's no interesting pitchers available in this league. <laughs> There's Forget really that. Not. There's any. really not. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, but... And maybe really what it is, maybe I'm too late, right? Because if I look back at the auctions that have completed recently, like maybe I should have bid more on Jerickson Profar, who you talked about before, and just went for $3 like a couple days ago. Like maybe maybe I should have been in on him instead. Um, 
Josh Naylor, who I think is off to an interesting start as a guy, maybe I could have bid on instead of like, he doesn't replace Rogers, but he might be a better bet long-term. Um, Robert Hassel, the third just got picked up and like, he's a super fun prospect. Maybe I should have bid more on Brad Keller when he was up for auction. Like there's a bunch of guys that I could have bid more on if I didn't have $12 tied up in Brendan Rogers. And I think at this point I'm going to, I think I'm deciding right now I'm going to have to move on. That's very so the, sad. The one, that is sad. The one odd new league I have him in is actually even sadder. Cause even though I only have him for $3, I got some really enticing offers for him. I just thought a guy with multi-position eligibility, this kind of upside in cores for $3, I got to hold on to him. I should have taken those deals. Um, and, and the one thing that we haven't mentioned yet, I think I made you an offer on him. Right when I was saying did. I was interested in him in OPL leagues, that league, League 13 that you and I are both in, is the it's a league that I entered the Auto New Prestige League with, and I was trying to get second base slash shortstop guys throughout the offseason. So I'm sure Rogers was on that list. At least half the league reached out in interest, and I just uh, whatever I don't even I wish I could think of one of the examples, and and I at this point I just wish I took it. At least he's not hurting me at $3, but yikes. But the one thing we haven't mentioned, and I, and I guess it's kind of put a bow on Brennan Rodgers, is that he's approaching 600 plate appearances. I know it feels like we've barely seen him, but he does have almost 600 plate appearances in the major leagues, which is getting to a pretty decent sample. It's like a full season sample. His ground ball rate is 52% through all of those plate appearances. And if you're going to play in cores, at least get it up in the air, right? Because half those fly right. balls might turn into home runs. He's not even doing that. So – very limited upside here with Rodgers at the, at this point in time. He needs to make a change. Yep, agreed. So we talked about one guy you were high on last year. We got another guy you are, I know you're a fan of, so I know this is going to hurt, but we're going to talk about him. I'm a little surprised to see you hesitant on him because I actually, I'm not right now. So I'm curious to see what you have to say about him. That's Tanner Houck. So I, my concern with Hauk is the concern that everybody else has had except for me up until this point. Um, and, and that's his reliance on two pitches because unlike years past where the Red Sox were desperate for pitchers, I'm not saying they're not right now. Like you can't, you can't really look at the Red Sox roster and be like, Oh no, they're all set with pitchers, but he's not going to be able to pitch in Toronto. And that's not the reason why I think he's a borderline cut at this point, because they don't play again in Toronto until late June. You know, obviously it's just a limited amount of time where they'd spend there, but now he's offering Garrett Whitlock a chance to, to enter the rotation. At some point, you're going to get Chris Sale back. At some point, you're going to get James Paxton back. They've already got Pavetta and Evaldi locked in. This isn't accounting for the fact that they have Brian Bello, who could maybe make an impact at some point this year. Um, and I'm, did I mention James Paxton? Yeah, they're going to get James Paxton at some point. And Michael Walker, that's who I was trying to think of. It's like pitching lights out. And so all of a sudden, he's kind of put himself into this position where if the bullpen can't keep it together – or if they just would rather have him piggyback Michael Waka, I think I think we could see Hauk bouncing in and out of the rotation going forward because his arsenal's not that deep. And, I, and I'm worried that the walks that that have carried over from spring training now into the regular season are going to continue to haunt him a little bit. And he's still, I mean, he's throwing his sinker so far this year even less than he did last year. He's still so reliant on the four seam and the slider. So, like, this might come across crazy to our listeners because I'm still a, a massive Tanner Houck fan. And in keeper leagues, I'm probably not moving him. I have him for an egregious $11 in our listener Ought New League, and I still don't plan on cutting him there. But in redraft, Houck is entering that cut territory because pitching's up across the league. 
And so if I have a guy who his strikeout numbers are down, the team doesn't let him go deep into outings and he's kind of been hit or miss. And now he's going to miss 10 days or whatever it might be because he's not going to be pitching in Toronto. Then like, I don't know. I, I think he's an easy cut in redraft if there's someone available. And, you know, we were joking about it in the new league that you were just referencing that there's not pitching available, but in regular redraft leagues, like your average 12 team redraft, there's plenty of pitching right now. It's deep around the league. Um, so how I think is kind of boxing himself in because of the lack of third pitch and, and, and the other options the Red Sox have to potentially lose his spot in the rotation or at least have spotty innings this year. Yeah, I think part of the spotty innings concern I have with him and it ties to those two pitches is only having being so reliant on two pitches makes it particularly hard to go a third time through the order. And so, and that's been the issue for him, right? That that has consistently been the the question. And I, I'm a little worried. You know, his last two starts, he went five innings and five point two. If you're in a quality starts league, he isn't going to get you many quality starts. If you're a, in a wins league, leaving half the game, almost half the game unpitched, makes it really hard to get a win, right? Because you need your bullpen to be strong. You need the like. There's just so many things that have to work out. And honestly, like he's faced. He has faced 19 hitters in all three of his starts. I don't think he's often going to face much more than that. If you face 19 hitters, like you give up a couple hits and a couple walks and all of a sudden that's, that's only four innings or so, right? Instead of getting five and now you're not even eligible for the win. So that really concerns me is that like he almost, he's almost like a long reliever for fantasy. He's not going to get you that many wins. He's not going to get you that many saves, uh, and, but the rates should be pretty good, but they're not great. So I can see that in, I can see it in redraft why you'd move on from him. However, I, I'm, I think he is still a work in progress. And so like, one of the things I don't like seeing this year is his reliance on his four seamer and slider. So his reliance on his four seamer and slider combined is actually, I think, down a small amount. So he last year, oh, maybe not. Maybe it's about the same. He's using a splitter a little bit more this year, 10.5% of the time. He only used it 7.4% of the time last year. Uh, and his sinker a little bit less. Like you said, he went from 17% last year to 14.3%. He's still using those two pitches combined about a quarter of the time. Um, but he's using his four-seamer more and his slider less. So last year, they were... He was using them pretty evenly, 38.6% four-seamers, 37.1% sliders. This year, it's 42.9% four-seamers, 32.4% sliders. That, that to me, like, I'm less concerned about his reliance on the two pitches than I am on the shifting reliance to just the one. As he gets closer and closer to 50% fastballs, you just, you're easier to predict and you're easier to hit. And, and I think that's part of the reason, like, his whiff rate is down on the slider significantly that is like the biggest shift for him his whiff rate on his sinker is down as well it's down in the splitter as well it's down a small amount on his four seamer but he went from using that slider 37 percent of the time and getting 42.4 percent whiffs to using it 32.4 percent of the time and only getting 20 percent whiffs like that's a huge shift and it still seems to be pretty effective. Like his X Woba and Woba against on that pitch have not really changed very much. His exit velocity against that pitch is up a little bit, but not, not really meaningfully. His spin on that pitch still looks good. His velocity on that pitch is up. Like there are some positive signs there where like 
the slider has more velocity. The four-seamer has more velocity. His spin numbers are actually up a little bit on both those pitches, maybe tied to the increase in velocity. Like, But the balance of how he's using those pitches is off. And I, I don't know if it's him, and I don't know if it's the Red Sox or, or Vasquez specifically, how they're calling the game. But like, what I would love to see him do is actually get that slider rate up a little bit more from 32% back up to like 35 and throw a lot less four seamers. Like if he, if he got to a point where he was throwing the slider more than the four seamer and the sinker or the split finger more than he's throwing them right now, maybe both more than he's throwing them right now, he starts to get really interesting, but right now he's using that four seamer too much and it is getting tattooed and that's, what's hurting him, right? Like I said, the slider, everything looks good except the whiff rate. Not that that's, you know, something to, to just ignore, but like the contact isn't a whole lot harder on that. It's not harder at all. In fact, but the four seamer last year, he had a 462 X Woba. It's a three or was last year was a 314 X Woba. This year it's a 462. So he is just getting tattooed on that four seamer. And I think part of that is he's more predictable because people know it's coming. Part of the problem with that is definitely the control issue that he's had. I mean, first of all, sample size for sure, but he, he's had to throw more fastballs because he's walked seven batters in like 11 innings or whatever it is. Um, and, and that control issue was something that he seemed to have conquered last year. His walk rate was just like 7% last year. It was a huge gain for him. And it was another, you know, attack it onto the reasons why I love Tanner Houck, even though I'm telling you that he's, he's droppable at this point, redraft. But if you're falling behind, you're getting guys on base and, and you don't have command of the zone, then you have to throw your fastball more. And I think that's obviously, like you said, making it more predictable and making it easier to smoke. You know, there's something to be said for that mantra of, right, just throw your best pitch more. And I think Houck would love to do that with the slider, but I think that's more effective for guys who have other options that they can go to when they don't throw that best pitch. And it, yeah, obviously that's... that's been a problem for Houck for a while now. Yeah, and that, that does seem to be like, if you look at his zone percentage by pitch, his slider is down. Or no, sorry, his slider is up. So he was at 38.4% of his sliders being in the zone last year. He's at 40.3% this year. His four-seamer is up. He was at 50.2% last year, 53.5% this year. But that sinker and splitter, those other two pitches he uses, both of those, the zone percentage is way down. And, and it's down to 35% for the sinker and 28% for the splitter. Like if he can't hit the zone with those pitches at all, and he may not want the slider to be in the zone that often, right? Like the, the slider was good because of the chase rate and the swinging strike rate on it. And so, yeah, you're right. If he's, if he can't get those other pitches in the zone, then he has to rely on that four seamer. That's going to hurt. But it, it looks to me like the chase rate on the slider last year was 29.8%. This year, it's 13%. Opposing hitters are just spitting on it, right? And, and I don't know, again, if that's just like they're, you know, the fastball is more predictable, so they're sitting fastball and hammering it when they get it and ignoring everything else. Or if, I, or maybe it's just, maybe there's something he's, he's making it more recognizable and easier to miss or easier to ignore, but... That's going to be the big thing is he needs to get guys swinging at that pitch because right now they're not. They're just ignoring it. It I looks think, good, but it it's not it's not attracting anyone to attack it. That 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 issue with the slider, you know, the whiff rate and being in the zone. I, I I'm for now I'm just going to write that off as both sample size and and the control issue because watching it, like when I watch it, he's it's not like 
but he still has an absolute wipeout nasty slider. Like it's in his arsenal. He can turn to it. I think it's just, he's getting behind in the count and he has to live in the zone. And so he's, he's, when if you have to live in the zone because you're getting behind on the count, and you're getting guys on base, and you only have really two pitches to throw, it's just more predictable. I don't I don't think it's going to be an issue for him all year. I trust them to figure out the control issue like they did last year, but that still leaves us with a guy who has a limited arsenal in a team that clearly doesn't seem to have a lot of belief that he can go through an order a third time. I'd like to see them just let him do it. It bothered me last year. I I I can't remember if I wrote about it or talked about it on the pod. But like that, he had like two chances to even go through the lineup a third time, and once was against like Cedric Mullins and Trey Mancini. Not that the Orioles are terrifying, but it was when those two were hitting the crap out of the ball. And then the other time was against like Wander Franco, Nelson Cruz, and Brandon Lau. And it was like, I mean, anybody's gonna have trouble with those guys through the first time through the order, let alone the third time. I'd like to see them loosen the leash, but they have no reason to right now, so long as he's walking the yard. I- I also this is this is pure speculation on my part. And then we can we can move on. But I wonder if he's tipping his pitches. I'm just looking at the swing rate on that slider, and the chase rate is so low. The swing rate is way down. Last year, I mean, it's just an example. Last year on two strike pitches, he had a 22.4 percent O swing on that pitch. This year, it's 9.7. Like he like guys are just not offering at it. The swing rate was 40 percent last year. It's 31.2 percent this year. And when they do swing, they're not swinging through it as much, which suggests that like a slider is hittable if it's in the zone and you know it's coming. And if it's out of the zone, you ignore it. And it looks to me like that's what's happening here. When it's in the zone, they're swinging and they're able to make contact instead of swinging through it. And when it's out of the zone, they know it's going to dive out of the zone and they're ignoring it. And that that strikes me as play as hitters recognizing what pitch is coming and being able to lay off it. And so I, I'm not nearly enough of a pitching coach to like dive in and try to figure out if that's actually what's happening, but it statistically, it looks to me like what I would expect to see if he was tipping his pitches. Yeah, no, that, uh, that certainly could be the case. They haven't really had a lot of issues with that. I think there was a, a few years ago, Erod might have been doing it. Um, actually, yeah, no, for sure. So maybe maybe that's come up again. I, I The sample size for me needs to get a little bit bigger before we judge the slider. Fair enough. So let's take a quick break. When we get back, we got one more potential keeper cut hard decision to make. Be right back. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show Welcome back. We've now talked through Trent Grisham, Brendan Rogers, and Tanner Houck. Pete, the next guy I want to talk about is this guy's been a little bit uh, 
divisive, I'll say, in the preseason. If you look at like rankings from guys like Nick Pollock, Alex Fast, Eno Saris, he's been all over the place. Some guys really high on him, Eno in particular, some much lower on him. I've been pretty excited about him. I picked him up in a bunch of places because I was excited about him. And now he's been pretty disappointing. That's Drew Rasmussen of the Rays. What do you see with him? So two things right off the bat is it's a Rays starting pitcher. That gives me concerns because they let them go, you know, 2.3 in 2, 2.3, 2.2 innings pitched and then call it a day. Uh, that drives me bonkers. And then factor in this guy said Tommy John surgery, not once, but twice. Um, and so I, I was, I drafted him in a lot of places because as you mentioned, Eno really liked him and that's enough for me. You know, it, you've said in the past, it's enough for you. If Eno Saris is in on a player, I'm in on him. Eno's in that fan staff league that you and I are in. And I think I outbid him for Rasmussen. And that, I think that's when I said, well, I listened to your pod, man. I'm like, what do you want? Like, obviously I'm going to go for this player. Yeah. He How was, does- that was in, in that draft, Eno was, uh, down to dollar days pretty early and kept throwing out guys he wanted for a dollar and being frustrated when anybody bid. And it was like, you know what? (laughs) And we we know this feeling too, but like if you have a podcast and people listen to it, your $1 guys are no longer $1 guys. So that's right. That's why I had $11 for Tanner Houck, right? Our our listeners just kept pushing. I said, no, there's no way we're going to have a keeper cut out new league and I'm not going to have Tanner Houck. But anyway, um, Eno tweeted multiple times last year how much Stuff Plus and Pitching Plus loved Rasmussen. And that's why. It's not like, you know, like, oh, Eno likes him, so I'm going to like him now, even though I I think that's a fine way to approach it. He was backing it up with data. Um, And so a tweet in October of last year, uh, Eno tweeted out, and that's obviously at Eno Saris, the best starters in September by Pitching Plus, which strips away all the luck and focuses on the movement, velocity, spin, and location of pitches. The players on this list were Garrett Cole, Shane Boz, Corbin Burns, Sandy Alcantara, um, Kevin Gosman. And then number six was Drew Rasmussen. <laughs> also on that list, Otani, Lynn, Webb. Like, it's a stacked list of pitchers, and there was Drew Rasmussen. And so you're all of a sudden thinking, great ballpark. The Rays are awesome at finding players like this. They've got a gem. And he just hasn't done anything. And if his stuff is so nasty, which obviously I believe it is, it's not resulting in strikeouts. And so all of a sudden, I have this player on a ton of my rosters who's going not deep into games at all. And I'm worried that could be a trend with this organization who has a very long injury history to his arm and he's not striking anybody out. So at this point, I'm thinking I'm I'm willing to cut Drew Rasmussen pitching's up around the league. And so I'm ready to part ways and and add, you know, you're not gonna be able to get him at this point. I don't know why his name's coming to mind, but Mackenzie Gore or something like that. Like I'm ready to punt on Rasmussen. I think I might in TGFBI this week. Um, I just, we tried it. And I don't think it's work. Yeah, there's some weird stuff with Rasmussen. I, I wish I could I I wish I could talk to someone who was closer to the Rays and knew what was going on or, or or could help me understand if this is just like a if this is just like a weird stat cast thing with how pitches are are tracked, but like he has this year. So last year he threw sixty five percent four seamers. Not necessarily ideal, but it was a really good four seamer, so fine. He threw thirty percent sliders last year. That leaves very little for anything else. 2.6% curves, 2.4% change-ups. This year, instead of 65% four-seamers, he's throwing 37% four-seamers. Now, that's actually an interesting development and, and could be a good thing, but he's replaced it by throwing a cutter 30.3% of the time, according to StatCast. If I go over to pitcher list, the data there says he's using his cutter 23.2% of the time. Regardless... 
it was he didn't use it last year. It's a it's, it appears to be a new pitch. Now I don't know if this is a classification issue or something like that. That pitch though is uh it's it's not good. The X Woba on that pitch is four forty. Um, it has it has a twenty two percent whiff rate, which isn't too bad, but it's it's getting hit hard, and. I'm just not sure, like, now, his four-seamer, which last year had an X-Woba 318, has a 442 X-Woba this year. So, like, now, we we said earlier, you got to be careful about X-Wobas right now. Um, but regardless, last year had a 278 Woba, and this year has a 441 Woba. Like, it wasn't getting hit. It, it was a pitch that was not getting hit hard last year and is getting hit hard this year. The cutter is a pitch he wasn't using last year. It only has a 240 Woba against, but a but it, the X-Woba is a 440 and the X-Woba X-Slugging is 783 on that cutter. I, I'm not, I'm just not sure what's happening. Like, I don't understand where that cutter came from, why he's using it more. I need to dig into that a bit more to try to figure out what's going on. If you want a positive sign on Rasmussen, his last start was the first start he had more strikeouts than innings pitch. It's actually the first start he even had as many strikeouts as inning pitch, but it was... It was a raise start. It was three innings with four strikeouts, but he had gone nine innings with five strikeouts before that. So now going three innings with four, at least things are starting to move the right direction. Uh, too many. He had two walks in those three innings, which isn't great, but like there is a, there is actually a positive trend in his three starts. And so the one positive thing I could possibly argue here is that with the shortened spring training and the weird start to the season, all that, maybe he's still just rounding into form. You know, he went from, Four innings, three strikeouts, one walk, and a home run. Five innings, two strikeouts, no walks, and a home run. To three innings, four strikeouts, two walks, and no home runs. You know, if his next start, the strikeouts are up, the walks come back down a little, and he's still not getting tattooed by the long ball, like, okay, now we're starting to see something. Um, I don't think I'm ready to cut him yet. In, I, I think I'm going to give him one more start. I may not use him for that start. I wonder who he's got coming up. Like, they he pitched on the 20th, so he should be coming up again in their rotation soon. Maybe not. Let's see. He's not pitching tomorrow. Is he pitching Monday? No, he's not pitching tomorrow. He will pitch in their next series. Their next series is at home, and the Trop is a pretty good place to pitch. And against the Mariners, who there's a lot of talent on that Mariners team, but a lot of it hasn't been hitting. So I... I I don't know. I probably, I don't know what I'll do. I don't know if I'll use him or not, but I'm not cutting him yet. I'm going to sit on him for one more start and see what we get. You bring up, it might be taking him a little bit to get warmed up. And that obviously, you know, makes sense for a guy who again has gone through two Tommy John surgeries. Seattle has one of the best strikeout rates in baseball. So maybe if he does end up putting forward a decent K nine in this start, maybe that's a, a pretty good sign. I'm just you know, if he is a guy, if the cutter's not good, and so he's really almost like Hauk, where he's four seam and slider. Now he's got two pitches on a team that doesn't like to go deep into outings. Even if he, even if the ratios kind of stabilize and he's pretty solid, I think we're talking about another player who's like a four to five inning pitch per outing guy. And I just that doesn't do it for me. Not not in an environment where pitching is up across the board. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that cutter because if that cutter is like. If he's if he's figuring it out and another couple spring training starts would have made it much stronger than it's been and he gets that together, like 
having a four seamer slider and a cutter that he uses all roughly a third of the time, I think changes the outlook on him in terms of how deep into games he can go. It doesn't change the fact that he's a Ray. (laughs) That's not going to change. So got to deal with that, but he is interesting. He is more interesting to me in, and this is true of all Rays pitchers. He's more interesting to me in auto new leagues where I don't care about wins. I don't care about quality starts. Innings do matter, right? You do want guys to go deep into games, but you're on an innings limit anyway. So the quality of innings is more important than the number of innings on a per start basis. And so if he can consistently give me four to five really good innings, great. I'll take it. Uh, in my five by fives, in my quality starts league that I that I play in, like I I think he's I I would I would happily drop him in those places because I just don't think the upside is strong enough because he's you know in a five by five he's not getting you saves and he's not getting you wins at least not very often and and if you're in a quality start league he's probably never going to get you one of those. Can I throw out four names and you can let me know if you'd rather have them or uh, Mr. Rasmussen here? Sure. All right. So I'm using ESPN player roster rate and I have to find how much uh, how many leagues Rasmussen's roster, but that's kind of besides the point. Uh, Merrill Kelly or Drew Rasmussen? It's an interesting one. Um, Kelly, I was I was super surprised by his the contract extension that he got. I was like, oh, wow, the Diamondbacks really believe in him. And man, he makes them look like geniuses right now. Um, I don't know. I haven't really dug deeply into Kelly yet. And so I'm sort of talking slowly and stalling for time as I, <laughs> as I look to see what's going on with him. Um, you know, his swinging strike rate is still sort of right around his career levels, but his chase rate is way up. So his career chase rate was 31.2% or is 31.2% now it's 37.4% this year. Um, and that is, that seems to be what is driving a big jump in strikeouts. Yeah. I mean, this is really interesting. Um, I, I'd have to look, I want to look, I'd love to look closer to understand like what's happening with that chase rate that is, that's driven it up so much. And do I think that's sustainable? But if it is, uh, I, I'm, I'm intrigued. So he's the type um, of guy who, like, he's, he's, there's no, I think Merrill Kelly could realistically have at least 50 more innings pitched than Drew Rasmussen at the end of the year. So if it's Otnew where that doesn't matter too much, right? Especially in a, in a head to head points, then fine, I guess. I mean, you get points for innings pitched in there, like you said, but if, if innings pitched don't matter, I'll just put it that way, then maybe I'd still prefer Rasmussen. But if innings pitched do, Merrill Kelly's going to pitch way more innings than Drew Rasmussen this year. Assuming, yeah, that's that's for sure. Yeah, Um, he's he's not going to win many games though with that lineup behind him. Oh God, no. Rasmussen might not either, though. No, it's true. I I think it's a tough one. I think it might be Kelly, but I I have to. I I feel like I need to read more. I'm like, I I don't know what to make of Merrill Kelly right now because I didn't. I sort of ignored his first starts. I was like, eh. He's Merrill done Kelly. this before. Yeah. He's not that good. And then his second start was really good. And now his third start's been really good. And like, I'm not sure like his for his velocity is up, which is obviously good to see. Um, his he's using his change up a little bit more and his curveball a little bit less. 
he throws five pitches more than 15 or more than 14 percent of the time each like yeah I, I i guess i'll say kelly but i maybe we'll maybe i'll come back to this next week after i've had a chance to dig into him a little deeper but i, I think right now i i'm super intrigued by what he's done yeah that's totally fair so merrill kelly is owned in 46 percent of leagues on ESPN and Rasmussen is rostered in 65% of leagues on ESPN, but obviously one is trending up the other trending down. Uh, another name I wanted to throw out there to you, Chad would be a guy who I was heavily in on going into this year and he's been pretty solid so far. And that's Josiah gray. So Josiah gray or drew Rasmussen. This one's easier for me. I would take gray. Okay. Um, I, I'm, I, it's interesting. So I, I just pulled up Nick's list, you know, the list on pitcher list to, to see just to see where he had them. And he has Rasmussen at 77th and Kelly at 60th in his most recent one, which is almost a week ago. Now uh, he has Josiah Gray at 75th. So very, very close wow. to Rasmussen. And so it's interesting that I like Nick clearly on Kelly over Rasmussen, barely on gray. I'm sort of the opposite. where like, I think I'm over. I think I like Kelly more than Rasmussen gray though. I just think Gray is supremely talented. Uh, he had a a very rough first start. Um, went four innings, five strikeouts, two walks. But he also got sort of BAPIP to death. He had a 583 BAPIP against in that first start. Um, you know, he also, he had a, I don't know. It, it wasn't a good start. Leave it at that. But I don't think it was all his fault. His last two starts combined, however, he has now gone... 10.1 innings with 13 strikeouts. Five walks is still too many walks, but that number has been going down. Like he had, th- after having two walks in four innings, he had three walks in five innings and then two and five and a third. So hopefully he's getting that control underway under, hopefully he's getting his pitches under control. We'll say that, but still two starts, 11.32 strikeouts per nine, 4.35 walks per nine is not good, but it's, it's manageable. If you're getting that many strikeouts, I'm all in. I think the talent is there. I think he's only going to get better as the season goes on. I think his, you know, in keeper leagues, his long, long-term potential is huge. Um, in, in auto new league one, he got cut after his first start. And I rarely use waiver claims in auto new. I do, but, but more often than not, I'd rather let the guy go through waivers and then see if I see what the price is at an auction. I put in a waiver claim on Josiah Gray at I think $5. Cause I was like, I'm not messing around with this. I just, I want Gray. I think he's, I, yeah. yeah, I want him. You should want him. Put him on your rosters. Be happy with him. Because uh, I think he's just, I think he's supremely talented. In a very competitive league, I have a surplus of outfielders. And so I offered Stephen Kwan for Josiah Gray and it got rejected. So I, I do think that out there, Josiah Gray's roster rate is going to continue to climb. He's only at 28% on ESPN. I expect that to go up. And the final two players, Chad, we can just do them as a rank them. And we talked about all three of these guys. And that includes Drew Rasmussen quite a bit. So it shouldn't be too bad. But Rasmussen, Hauk, and Paul Blackburn. Can you rank those three for me? Of course I can. Uh, <laughs> um, so Blackburn is last of those three. Okay. And I get that he's been excellent so far. I'm not sure I really believe that Paul Blackburn is as good as he's been this year. Uh, the strikeouts are still low. They're, they're better than they've been, but it's still like below a strikeout per inning. Um, what's what's giving him life right now is a 1.8% walk rate. 
which is uh, obscene. <laughs> he's throwing batting and, practice, and they're missing. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, he's just he's not walking anybody at all, and I just don't know that I believe that that can continue. Like that, his zone rate. So this is you know. Like his chase rate last year was 27.8%. His chase rate this year is 22%. Um, his zone rate was 37.7% last year. It's 38.3% this year. So like people are chasing less. He's not throwing the ball in the zone anymore. And yet his walk rate went from 5.6%, which or 5.7%, which was good, by the way, down to 1.8%. Like, some something else is going on here because like he's not getting guys to chase more. He is getting him to swing and miss more. So maybe that's what it is, but he's not getting him to chase more and he's not throwing more pitches in the zone and the walks are way down. Um, his strikeouts are up, but they haven't been up since his first start. So his first start, he went five innings and struck out seven. His last two starts, he's gone 10 combined innings and also struck out seven. Uh, you know, I, I'm, he had a good start at Toronto, so I, I guess it's hard to write this off, but his other two starts at Tampa is fine uh, against Baltimore at home in Oakland. To me, Blackburn is a, like, I'll use him in Oakland. I'll use him against weak opposition, but I don't trust him yet. And I don't think the upside is significant. Um, Hauk and Rasmussen, I don't know. <laughs> Take whichever one you like better. They, they're like they're they're so similar to me in terms of the the like they like they're neither of them go real deep into games. They're both struggling a little bit this year, but both have you know terrific stuff that they can lean on. I, I think I would say Hauk, but it's it's close. It's close enough that by the middle of May, I could completely change my mind. Yeah, that's a that's a fair way of looking at it. All right. Well, I think we've gone through. We had some other names that we were thinking about talking about in terms of guys you might want to sell high. And let's try to move through those really quickly because we've been going at this for about an hour already. I can bang so, two of them out in, in one sentence each. One sentence each. Okay. One sentence, sell high. Sell, Who are they? Sell high on Pablo Lopez because he has a career high innings pitched in a single season of 111.1. How much do we, I'm adding on a sentence here. It's a question. How much do we expect that to go up this year? I think we need questions to are still sentences. Uh, I'm aware, but you know what I mean? Um, CJ Crone. I'm going to, this is going to be a very long, complex sentence, but it's going to be very short. Sell high on the major league leader in home runs, CJ Crone, because he has already played 10 of his games at home out of 12 possible games. And so if I can get this is a continuation, by the way, and this statement right now is in parentheses. If I can get, say, Joey Votto or Ryan Mountcastle with something else that improves my roster, like a lower end closer, I would be interested in making that swap, period. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm a big fan of Pablo Lopez, and so I'm, I'm less likely to sell him because I think he's good enough that even if he only gives you 115 innings or something like that, um, I think it'll be worth it. But if somebody wants to pay you for Pablo Lopez to be an ace for 160 innings, 
Yeah. Go for the it. The way people talk about him, I think I think that's how he's being valued. Yeah. CJ Crone, uh I think it depends what you can get for him. I and, and maybe you know, maybe I'm just I don't know. Last year it felt like as good as he was and he was excellent last year. He had been excellent the year before. Like he had a 376 Woba in Detroit in 2020 and then put up a 383 in Colorado last year. And and by in I don't mean at home, I just mean with those teams. And then his value just I don't know, didn't go up. And people were still like, "Eh, he's CJ Crone. He's not that good." And so I just I don't know. I I feel like I almost think I'd rather be buying CJ Crone. Wow. Because I don't think you have to pay what he's worth. You haven't for for 2 years now. He's been excellent. Legitimately excellent. One of the better first basemen in baseball, for sure. And like let's see, I'm going to take a quick look here. So if I go back 2020 and 2021 combined first baseman uh let's put in over those 2 years we'll put in 200 plate appearance minimum sort by woba CJ Crone has the 6th best woba among major league first basemen with 200 plus plate appearances in 2020 and 2021 combined. I don't think you can sell him for that value, right? Like his, his Woba. So 2020, 2021 combined Vlad Guerrero jr. Has a 398 Woba. CJ Crone is a 382. Freddie Freeman is at 400. Joey Votto, 378 below Crone. Uh, 377 for Goldschmidt, 370 for Abreu, 370 for Hoskins. Matt Olson's at a 362. CJ Crone has been better than Matt Olson over those two years. Now, from a fantasy perspective, Crone has had fewer home runs. He hasn't played in as many games. Like, there's other things that that he, but he has hit like one of the best first basemen in all of baseball over the last two years. And I just don't think I don't I don't think selling high on him is. I don't think you're going to get enough. So, I mean, I, I guess it comes down to what is enough, because if we said this going into the draft, I agree. I, it felt like he was being he was like put in a tier below guys that he should have been in the same tier as like a like Josh Bell, right? A guy who you and I love. I think you could make the case that CJ Crone definitely in Colorado could be in that that tier. There's all, almost no reason why he shouldn't be based on the numbers provided. But it's a hype thing. I mean, it, the fact that he's already got six homers this year, I think is finally like maybe people are finally willing to accept that CJ Crone is legitimately good. And so when I say this about both Lopez and Crone, I'm not saying they're bad or that this is a facade. I'm saying like, maybe this is the opportune time to cash in. So Chad, maybe in your leagues, you can't. And like, no matter what people are going to view CJ Crone as this guy who's over 30, who's never really had this established of a career. And it's just is what he is. But I think I definitely do. And some of our listeners probably do play in leagues where you could absolutely cash in that six homers right now and and really improve your team in multiple ways. So let me throw it out to you. Like if you could get, I don't know, if you could get Joey Votto or Reese Hoskins and the two guys we just talked about, Drew Rasmussen or Tanner Houck for CJ Crone, are you making that deal? Maybe, but like, I don't know. I, I mean... I think you could get Votto, but Votto hasn't been good. And, and you you have to be concerned at some point that Votto is 
aging, right? I mean, that's, that's going to happen. And so, like, I don't know that I want Votto and Rasmussen or Votto and Hauk. But one, one of those guys from that tier, be it like, you know, Hoskins or Ryan Mountcastle, one of those guys. But like Hoskins, like if I look at ADP at NFBC, just as a, a, a proxy here, Hoskins ADP was 123.8. Crone was 124.5. Votto's down at like 142, 143. So like the, the tier of first baseman from like the, you know, it's a little confusing because there's a bunch of non-first baseman mixed in here. Right. They're closer uh, than they can qualify there. But like Votto is at 16, Ty France, Anthony Rizzo, Alex Kirilov, Jonathan Scope, Trey Mancini are the next guys up. Like, I I don't know. I don't like, I don't think you can get Hoskins plus something else for him. I think you should be able to. I think he is more valuable than Hoskins, but he went after them in in, in drafts. And I don't think that their values have moved enough that you're going to be able to get more than that. So yes, I would like... If somebody is going to, if someone's going to give me value for Crone as a top five first baseman, I'll take it. I don't think you're going to get it. I think you're going to get people calling him a borderline top 10 first baseman. And I don't think that's, I think he's better than that. I think he's more than borderline top 10. That's fair. So, I mean, it comes down to if you can sell high, then I would yeah. sell high. But maybe the market is still not willing to view him as highly as he's performed. Yeah. And then the other two sell highs you mentioned here, uh, one of them I, I completely agree with. That's you, Darvish. I think, you know, you can tell me what you think, but to me, like Darvish, I don't even know if you can sell high because he hasn't been that good, but you might be able to sell name value. And I might just, I might just take what I could get for Darvish at this point and, and be happy. Yeah. He's a weird guy to call a sell high because his ERA is almost six right now, but that's really because of one start. If, if you can get someone to look at his last start and say like, Oh, okay. He's back. Cause he was good. I mean, he had 16 swing strikes and like 96 pitches, but he's also hard hit nine times. His line drive rate is ridiculous right now. Uh, and his spin rates remain down. He's one of the most effective pitchers from the substance change, whether he was using substances or not. If we use that arbitrary, you know, like July 1st or whatever it was, he's been terrible since then. And he's 35. So if you can cash in on that last outing, I would do it. Yeah, I, I'm a. Yeah, I agree. I was down in him anyway, so I don't really have him anywhere to cash in. But if I was, I, I agree with you. The other guy you have listed here is Ty France. And this one's an interesting one to me because I, I saw Ty France as a good buy low going into the season. Um, you know, is he going to put up a 300, 400, 500 line all season? Probably not. But I, I think he's, you know, 20 plus home runs with a really good average. And I think plenty of runs and RBIs in that lineup. I, I, I'm I'm hesitant to sell. Yeah, so it's it's the home runs that I'm I'm not convinced on. Uh, you know, his exit velocity is down compared to years past. It looks like, like we talked about earlier, the balls are zapped, so they're not going to carry. And if you can get someone to look at the three homers and think that he's developing into power, then I would sell because the ground ball rate is still like it's not terrible, but he's up at around forty four percent. It's the fly ball rate that's way down. He's only hitting fifteen point two percent fly balls, so like. Yeah, he has a high line drive rate, but if he's not hitting homers and instead getting those singles and doubles, well, that's kind of what we expected him to be. So if he's a if he's a 300 hitting 10 homer guy, I think at the moment his value might be a little bit higher than that. And I don't see him as being much higher than that, which is why I have him on the yeah. list. 
I think he's I think he's more like a 20 homer guy than a than a 10 homer guy. I mean, he had 18 last year. His projections are all around 20 ish. Um, I, I, so I, I think he's more like a 20 homer guy, but he's on a 30 home run pace. So I think your point stands. If somebody wants to pay you for 325 plus and a guy who's going to be, you know, pushing 100 RBIs, 100 runs. Um, great. Sell. I, I think if. I would, I'd be a little bit more hesitant than you to sell on the power. Cause I think that he could be, I think he, I think he'll be at or around 20 home runs, maybe even a little over, but I would certainly sell if somebody thinks he's, if you're going to get value of 25 to 30, like he's on a more than 30 home run pace. If somebody wants to pay for that pace, let them. I might just be reading too much into the baseballs with too, too small of a sample, but like I, I, I see the projections. I see the 18 home runs from last year. I just, if these trends with almost a month's worth of data right now continue, I think it will impact guys like Ty France maybe more than others. Um, but only time will tell. Yeah, it'll be interesting because I think one thing I, I did see, and I'm trying to remember where I saw this, was that fly balls were impacted more than line drives. Um, and so it actually may impact a guy like France less. Yeah, that would be good and for that, him. Right. And so it, like, it could be this weird thing where it deflates power for power hitters more than it deflates power for non-power hitters um, and compresses power, which is actually good for a guy like France. But this is all, it's all speculation at this point. Uh, it's, it's, we, we don't know. So I'm not, I'm not banking on that. I'm just sort of, I'm for now saying whether it's, whether he ends up with 20 home runs or 15 home runs because the power environment is down, I think he's going to have value around what we thought 20 home runs would be worth before the season. I think if he hits 15 and it's, you know, all powers down everywhere, fine. That might happen too. That's a fair um, way to look at it. But I, I don't think he's going to be, I don't think he's a 30 home run guy, even a 30 home run guy, how we valued before the season, let alone a 30 home run guy, how we value them now. So if you can get that value, I agree that that's a, that's a good point to sell. Um, can I just otherwise, say one I, thing, I one thing before sure. we wrap up? Cause I want to make sure it's clear for the listeners. Pablo Lopez, Ty France, Hugh Darvish, and CJ Crone are all guys who I think are – they're not all the same, but they're all good. And they're all guys who if I have them on my roster, I'm okay with that. Do not take this as I think they suck or I think you need to trade them. But if you're thinking of who can I sell high right now to maybe improve my team as a whole, those are the names I target. I do not think they are bad baseball players. Yeah, I think that's, that's an important point is that you know, sell high – I think sometimes we get into these conversations about sell high and buy low and you, you get things like I've seen a bunch of people talking about Kyle Tucker as a buy low and it's like Kyle Tucker's not a buy low. Nobody drafted him in the first or second round. And it's like, wow, he's off to a rough start. I'm out. Like yeah. that's that's <laughs> not it. It's like your 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 sell low or your buy lows have to be guys who and almost at this point has to be a guy who you were higher on than most before the season and they've gotten off to a bad start. And so you know, their value went from being a 10th rounder to a 12th rounder and you were always willing to pay an eighth. Like that's, then you might be able to buy low. Sell highs, like your sell highs are not guys who are bad. They're not, right? You're, you're, we're not talking here about like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to pick on Michael Chavis. I'm sure he's a really nice guy. But like being like, oh, Michael Chavis is a sell high. It's like, no, nobody's giving you value for Michael Chavis, right? That's not like, yes, he's off to a great start, but like, He's not a sell high right now. He's just a guy having a hot start who maybe you want to put on your roster and ride that hot streak for a while, but like you're not selling high on him. No. So your sell highs, like 
they have to be guys who are good and going to be good and people believe will be good. I think one of the things that I always try to remind myself is like, if there's a guy on my roster that I'm thinking I might have to cut because I need roster space or that I might need to cut for cap space or who I want to sell high because I just don't actually think they're any good and I don't believe what they're doing. I have to assume other people think that too. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I'm, I don't know things that other people don't. And so, you know, sometimes guys like that, like I'll put them on the trade block and see if somebody comes back. Cause sometimes I can look and be like, okay, I get why somebody would be high on this guy, but I'm not at all. I don't want to go selling someone like that, but I might put them on the trade block and see if somebody comes and tries to buy. Cause a buy high a guy is like, a thing. It right. Is. And some people will do that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, but a guy like Darvish, a guy like France, guy like Crone, like those are guys you might be able to sell high because even if you think they're going to come back down to earth, like they're legitimately good, valuable players. And you can probably find a good, fair value in a trade that makes you feel like you're selling high and makes somebody else feel like they're getting good value. And, and that's what you should be looking for. So yeah, totally agree with that point. With that, uh, it was like 20 minutes ago that I was like, oh, we should just wrap this up. And you were going to say two sentences and we're still here. So let's call it. Thank you for listening. As a reminder, uh, we'd love for you to subscribe. Leave us ratings and reviews wherever you're listening. You can follow the show at Keep or Cut on Twitter. You can find Pete at Pete B Baseball and you find me at Chad Young. Love to hear from you. Love to hear your questions. Want to know what you want us to cover. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. 